Episode 33 of the Bearded Carcast, the Larry Bird edition. Well, not really, but it is a beautiful day here in Uptown Charlotte as we tape the Bearded Carcast. I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman alongside. Lots to cover, college football. We have the NFL getting underway this week. We made it. We got back to football season. Well, but the big news is, and we'll get to this a little bit later, is uh, you know we have we have some Apple Festival discussion too. Well, we just had Labor Day weekend, yeah, and the Labor Day weekend in my world means the Apple Festival in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And we'll tease it. We'll get. We'll get. We'll get back to it. Yeah, but we'll get back to it. It was a rollicking good time with some uh, amusing stories as right. always. Did so, you bring it, any apples? I didn't bring any apples to the podcast. I, I, what I should say is I brought six of them, but since you were a half hour late getting I here, late. I, I, I ate all of them. I have eaten. We were at the Apple Festival uh, briefly on Sunday and then for much longer on Monday. And I think I've eaten 10 or 11 apples since we first got wow. them, which is, which is pretty good. Yeah, that um, is good. Really pleased with the selection we found this year. But again, we'll get, get to it. To that, Mike, yeah. we made it through the summer. Made it we made the it summer. back to football season. It's so weird for me to think of. In a lot of ways, football is my favorite sport in that I like watching the NFL. And to a lesser degree, I like watching college football. But it has less to do with the sport and more to do with how easy it is to consume. Right. A baseball season is 162 games. It takes forever. The NBA season, you can get into either at Christmas or wait until the end of the NCAA tournament and not miss a great deal. With football, the season is so short, every game becomes meaningful right off the jump, and it's so consumable on a Sunday or a Monday night or a college slate on Saturday. It's much easier to follow the entire sport than the others. Well, and you can also break it down. I mean, you can. it's manageable to do college football and NFL. I mean, you can do both. So it's, it's, it's fun to do. And, of course, um, they still play games almost in every night between the two. It's so weird, Almost. though, to me. Philosophically, I don't like football. The CTE <laughs> right. is unbelievably scary. I think it's a gladiator, warrior sort of sport. I think it's least common denominator in a lot of ways. See ball, get ball, hit man, et cetera, et cetera. But, man, I can't wait for the NFL to get started. And some of that college football on Saturday was pretty good, too. Well, I would, I would take issue with the gladiator comment. And I, but I understand where you're coming from. Because there is the the blood sport, there is the the physicality of it. But it's there, there is a there's positives to football too. I mean, there's the the choreography, the you know the teamwork. You well, know, I think coaching is most important in football. There's yeah. so much going on. I mean, a baseball manager. Uh, there was an article in the San Francisco Chronicle about this this weekend, and it kind of took the opposite side of this. But the the highest paid baseball managers make six million dollars a year. There are like three of them. Yeah, but everybody then else is. Like then there are only like five other guys right. making more than like a million dollars a year. Other guys are making virtually nothing. Whereas. In college football, you have coordinators making yeah. millions of dollars, not even to talk about the NFL, but coaching in baseball is so, I, I don't I don't want to say unimportant. I think it's certainly important, the minor league level, but 
the actual managing of the game, the decisions you make because of the analytics, because the way the game has changed. Sometimes managers aren't even doing their own lineup anymore. They're being told when a lefty comes in, switch to this or right. adjust the defense like that. Like a lot of it has become almost robotic, almost computer oriented. Whereas in football, Every single play, the defensive coordinator calls a defense. The offensive coordinator calls an offense. You have audibles. You can have that head coach overruling. You got a special teams coach, a linebacker's coach. There's, there's so much going into every single play. Right. I mean, still, a baseball manager still has the capability to do all that. I mean, there's still – analytics has become more part of baseball, and, and, and different organizations run things differently. You know, obviously – you know, when you look at Tampa Bay, what they're doing and having the opener instead of, uh, you know, the traditional starter some, in some games. I mean, there, there, there's some tweaking, there's some difference. But by and large, football... Even Joe Madden, who I think is respected to the nth degree for what he did in Tampa and winning the World Series in Chicago, no one's comparing him to Bill Belichick. Maybe some Cubs fans. N not not, <laughs> not anyone really right, intelligent. Right. And, like, again, I think Joe is great, but I think the average baseball manager is doing, like, way less than the average but football think about, coach. But think about this, though, and, and maybe I'm kind of agreeing with you. You know, the only changes we've really talked about in the last 20, 25 years in baseball involve not gimmicky type, but things that change the game for – uh, maybe more viewership reasons, maybe more a little bit for the competitive side. I'm talking more about the wild card stuff and and shifting now. Um, you know, football has changes all all the time. I mean, it's a it's a the rules seem evolving. to change every yeah. year. Sometimes in the middle of the, the year, same. I'm still not sure if we know exactly what the the rule on tackling in the NFL going into this well, year yeah. is. Oh, and it even changed within from week right. one to week four in and the preseason. In the preseason, right? Yeah, and. That's going to be a big emphasis this year. How is that going to be? Is it going to be more like what we've seen at the end? Are they going to start out again where they're going to call everything and kind of dial it back? I mean, I think that's a serious thing to look at in the first couple of weeks of the season, how that's going to be uh, kind of adjudicated. There are a couple of um, other things, too. Um, what did we see in the last preseason game? Oh, uh, how you tackle quarterback, uh, the Aaron Rodgers rule. I think how that's interpreted. You know, there was a, a couple of plays in the fourth preseason exhibition game for the Panthers where – it looked like a, just a normal play. You know, the uh, D lineman comes through, grabs the quarterback, and lands on him going to the ground. Well, that's the Aaron Rodgers rule. He can't do that anymore. Are you looking more forward to the NFL or we just completed week one of college football? I guess there was that week zero, the first right, full week right. of college yeah. football. I mean, Johnson C. Smith played on Thursday. Yes. So I got to sit home and watch college right. football all day on Saturday. It's the first time I've done that in quite a while. Usually I'm broadcasting a game on Saturday. What is your excitement level like college versus the pros? I think it's probably split. I mean, I think because you have college starts that first week ahead of time, I think that really helps, just giving a little bit of a split. I mean, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with, uh, obviously, with the Panthers. Offensive line's a huge issue. Matt Cleo going on the IR, so he's out for, what, nine weeks? So it uh, looks like uh, Daryl Williams, Amini Silatolo are going to be placed back into the offensive line, but they're still going to be worked in. They, they're kind of day-to-day still right now. So how is that offensive line going to gel? Does Cam Newton need a great offensive line. You want him to have a great offensive line, but we've seen him work with, you know, issues on the offensive line before and still be competitive. Now, we don't want him to, you know, you don't want to sit there and watch him get his uh, 
head taken off. So I'm, offensive line certainly is a concern going into the season. So I think that's a big question mark. The way you just talked about the Panthers in a very thoughtful way, someone that clearly follows the team, can you talk about that way about any college football team? Well, my college football experience is more of a general. I mean, I do root for Boston College. I grew up in, you know, I grew up in Boston. Worked for BC. You know, one of our really good friends, John Meter Perel. I don't think he's been a, a bearded carcast participant yet, but I know he does listen. Hey, John. Uh, so I, I root for BC, but I don't have like where we are in in Charlotte, North Carolina. I mean, a lot of people that live here, whether they're from here or even you know transplants, people have a usually have a team that they grew up rooting for. And, you know, college football wasn't really that huge growing up for me. I, I enjoy it. I love working in it. But I don't I don't know that I have that passionate interest for for a college team. I guess if BC got got hot, I mean, I do follow them, but I, I guess if they got hot, like when Matt Ryan was um, had them at number two in the country, I mean, I, you know, I, I probably follow them a little bit of a fair-weather nature, but I do follow them, and I, I hope they do well. But I don't really have another team that I would say that I'm as – uh, emotionally attached to. Yeah, I, I'm the same way, and I think there are several reasons for it, but the biggest one is even if you're the worst team in the NFL, and whether that's the Browns or maybe this year it's the Bills. I read someone that thinks Tampa Bay is really lousy this year, yeah. but whoever you think that worst team is, you can imagine how you're only a year or two away. If, if you're the Bills and you've got a relatively new GM and a relatively new coach, and you thrust Tyrod Taylor aside, and you drafted Josh Allen, yep. you could imagine a scenario where you're bad this year, but that young quarterback shows you signs. Right. And now you're thinking, you know, maybe in a year or two we're a playoff team, and maybe three years from now we're competing for something. The Bills did go to the playoffs last year. So you can be good relatively soon. We saw the 49ers be good and bad and now with Jimmy Garoppolo there's there's all this hope this again hope right. I mean they went from the Bill Walsh era to Seifert good and then kind of tailed off and then they got Harbaugh and they were good again and then they were bad and <laughs> now you've got Garoppolo and yeah. like you can see you're the, glossing over the, the John Tomsula era oh. yeah Jim, 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 <laughs> Jim didn't work out great was it Jim or Jim, 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 Jim didn't Tomsula, work out yeah. great Mike Singletary wasn't terrific yeah. either um, but but like every couple of years, like there's reason to like right. see beyond whatever it is. Whereas if you're App State and App State almost beat Penn State on Saturday, let's say App State wins that game and then they go 12 and 0. They still end up in a mediocre bowl game that nobody actually cares about. At the beginning of the year, the little guy has no real chance. In the NFL, you can always see that glimmer of hope in the near future. Right, and in the college game, for me, it's more coaches and traditional programs that I might gravitate toward if, if like, BC's not doing well. I, I, I love David Cutcliffe. I've had I've been having a chance to interview him a couple of times uh, when I had the the show on 7:30. I really like him, and so when Duke's playing well, I really like to follow them. I guess because I'm a three quarters Irish, you know Notre Dame. I, you know, I don't know Brian Kelly, who was at Assumption College at the same time I was at Merrimack College, but we didn't know each other back then. Um, and I think he played football at Assumption, uh, so we may have shared the field together, Dave. You, the yeah. gridiron. I may have shared the Which gridiron. Which of you has been more successful since then? Well, it depends on how you define success. <laughs> <laughs> right? He gets a lot more like he gets paid angry more. letters yeah. and like yeah. like he mean gets, tweets gets, and things. He gets better he gets better gear and a lot more money. 
Uh, but I get to do the Bearded Car Cast. You can't say that. That's an outstanding right? point. He's never been invited on. He's not been invited We've on. We've never said Brian no. Kelly, uh, come on down. Right. No, no, come on down. Um, I liked uh, when Spurrier was at South Carolina, I'd kind of like to, to see them do well. Um, but for the NFL, it's, you know, I just feel it's like there's to, so it's, many schools that start the year, go 12-0, go 0-12, you're not competing. Like, you're not in the NCAA tournament. You don't have that glimmer of hope. Like, if you're Boise State, maybe if everything goes perfectly, somehow they'll invite you into the exclusive club but, and you'll get in. But the, but here's the thing about college, and, you know, you see this even at the low lower l- levels of of the of Division One, right? Like, like I mean, there are guys at, at, at big South schools. They walk on the floor their freshman year at a big South school. In their mind, they're playing like they think they're going to play in the NBA. Oh, I the, the but, quality but, but, of play and the competitiveness, I don't dispute that. It, I, I'm talking strictly from a fan standpoint. No, but I think fans sometimes have that same mentality. Like, well, man, if we run the table, you know, maybe we'll and, – and it's just not realistic. I mean, that's a nice concept, but if you go home – Thursday night is the first NFL game of the year, but I presume there's a college game on too. And usually the Thursday night college games are okay. But if those two teams are like, you know, I don't know, I'm going to throw out two random teams. Let's say it's a Virginia Navy. Right. Like, like what are they playing for? Like, like yes, Virginia, if they had an unbelievable season, I mean, it never happens, yeah. but they, they could right. get into the playoff. Right. Well, Navy's trying to play out of the military bowl. Right, but that's exactly it. Like, Navy or Army or Air Force clinches a ball game when they win, like, seven games, and then they win a game that yeah. you don't pay attention to, and, and that's the end of the season. Right, and that is the issue with those some of those Thursday games. But, I mean, let's face it. I think the big thing looking forward is, is kind of one of your uh, bailiwicks is, you know, how is the gambling landscape going to change how we view these midweek games and weekend games? Probably not, not I much. I think in the big scheme of things, it doesn't affect it. Navy and Virginia are still playing for relatively nothing. But are there going to be more people watching and more action on the game? Yeah, absolutely. This is the Bearded Carcast. I'm Dave Friedman with Mike Pacheco. You can be a part of the show. Send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com, or follow us on Twitter at beardedcarcast. We appreciate you joining us. We'll be going mostly every week from this point forward, and we're looking forward to getting back to college basketball season when we'll be out on the road. Right. The first college football week is now in the books. As I said, I was able to watch a lot of it. I know you watched quite a bit. Any major takeaways, good, bad, or otherwise? Well, I, it's interesting to see where Notre Dame and Michigan go from here. Because a lot of people, I think, Michigan fans, obviously, were, were hoping that Jim Harbaugh would, would kind of win a, a road game against a ranked team. Didn't see that. Now, is this a jumping board for Notre Dame this year? You know, they. I think they they have some question marks. Uh, the App State game, Penn State game, was very alluring. Uh, I I thought late in the game, Penn State was trailing. App State had the ball. I think it was like two minutes or less than two minutes to go. They, they had a fourth and short, had a 53 yard or 56 yard field goal attempt. The kicker's longest was 53 yards, so right, kind of right at the max range. 
and maybe it's just watching years of Patriots football, but I was like, man, they should go for it here. I mean, in that in that point in the if game, if he makes the field goal, you go up two scores. You probably pretty much the game's the game. over. Right? And I don't think Penn State had any timeouts left. Right. So you could have punted, and then maybe you pin them, and they have to go a long field, or you could have gone for it. You get the first I down. I think you go and for it. Get, get whittle the, all the clock. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. So I, um, that was some of the. T- uh, let's see uh, the USC game. What else did I watch? Um, I mean, Washington and Auburn was yeah, probably that, the yeah. the best game in terms of both yes. the quality of play and the two teams. And I thought it was a really good game. I thought I thought both teams uh, performed well. It was a big week for the SEC and specifically the SEC West because Alabama didn't win. They they showcased what looks to be right. the best quarterback Nick Saban has had. I mean, and Tua was. Terrific, and I don't know how good or how bad Louisville will be when it's all said and done. I know that Petrino's staff has been yeah. criticized considerably since he has three family members making over six hundred thousand dollars on his own staff. Right. And oh, by the way, they, they didn't look real good, but they were they were playing Alabama. But Auburn looked great, Alabama looked great, Ole Miss kicked Texas Tech hard, and LSU beat Miami, yeah. who won eight or nine games last mm-hmm. year. So, I mean, I think the SEC won won all but one game. The only game they lost was Tennessee getting embarrassed here by West Virginia, and that's been kind of the, the status quo for Tennessee over recent years. And I, I think there were more non-conference wins against Power 5 opponents for the SEC than all the rest of the conferences combined. How about uh, Villanova beating Temple? Yeah. I mean, talk about a not real meaningful game, but one of those results. I mean, Kansas lost to Nickel State. Yeah. And Kansas had a professor write in some sort of journal, or maybe it was online afterwards, that he doesn't understand why the university is spending money on on the program and, and that money would be used better elsewhere. Well, you know, the other big thing that came out of week one, and it was, you know, maybe it's inside baseball for you and I, but, you know, I thought the interchange between. Uh, Maria Taylor from ESPN and Nick Saban. Uh, a lot of people were, I guess, getting on her case for asking the question about the quarterbacks. I don't understand why that's even a controversy. Of course you have to ask the question about the quarterbacks. And the way the question was framed, it was kind of like, what did you learn out of your quarterbacks this week? It wasn't – because he answered it as – I mean, he took it as if the question was in some way, is one guy better than the other? And I don't think that's the way it was asked. Let was me that, ask you this question. Yeah. Do you care how athletes – and coaches deal with the media. Does that matter to you? To me, it's a question of fairness. Like, I think if you ask a dumb question and somebody responds to you harshly, I can understand why you would do that. And I understand in this case, it's like, well, he's been asked, you know, the question a thousand times. No, he hasn't been asked the question a thousand times. He's been asked about the topic a thousand times, and I can understand why that's frustrating. I just think there is, I just don't think the um, the question elicited the response. It, because I think it was a legitimate question. I think it's a completely legitimate question. But the fact that Nick Saban wants to be a pain in the backside to the media, that's his prerogative. I mean, is he a little bit difficult? Yes. Is he not particularly friendly? Yes. Is he one of the greatest college coaches of all time? Right. Yes. Okay. I mean, you know, we worked at Winthrop when Greg Marshall was there, and our relationship with Greg is pretty good. And there are a lot of other people that think Greg is an egomaniac and difficult. Okay, has that affected how many wins and losses he has? I, I just, I just don't really care. Like, like I wish Nick Saban 
answered the question more directly. I think the answer to the question is obvious. Tua is going to start and play all of the meaningful right. downs the rest of the I way. I just don't understand why you have to go out of your way to be I, I a don't jerk either. when you don't need to be. I, I, I like, ag- That's my point. I agree with that. I just don't really care. I think you're right. <laughs> he doesn't need to. But don't we find that some of the most successful people, Bill Belichick would fit in this category, are sometimes a little prickly? Yeah. They have a little bit of an edge? But, all right, this is where we're getting maybe a little off topic and big picture, but... You know, you're you're a head coach at a university. Universities are supposed to, you know, embody discussion. What's the name of that university? It doesn't matter. Nick Saban U. <laughs> Nick Saban runs that place. Yeah, Nick but, Saban's but it, the most important person there. Right. He, and as the most important person there, I think he has a, a standard to hold up to and not be a jerk. Well, we'll see if you're right or not. Do you think he's going to be suspended for week two? <laughs> no, of course My not. guess is he's going to be on the sideline. They're going to dock his pay? No, but but that's but the, but the issue we kind of – one of the themes we kind of go in and out of on the show from time to time, and it's, you know, it's kind of this – you know, when it all costs, we don't, you know, be damned how things happen. And I think we got, we have to get back to being concerned about how, how the sausage is made sometimes. I, why? I think, why? Because I think there's a right way of doing things. And I don't know. It's it just, I don't know. I mean, if people don't care, fine. They don't care. But I just think it's a better world when people are more respectful to each other. I think it's a better world. I just don't think it matters. Like, I, I agree theoretically, just not in practice. Now let's talk about the bad because it's more fun to talk about negative <laughs> than positive. Right. Tennessee's football program is a disaster. Yeah. Texas seems to be a disaster too. How do you lose to Maryland? Well, two in a row, right? They lost last year too. To a Maryland team that has gone through a little bit this this yeah. offseason. This year had, yeah. hey, you want to hear an unpopular take? DJ Durkin might be a really good football coach. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, he's no longer the coach there. Or well, somebody suspended. died he's under not, his watch. Somebody I mean, died. I'm like, so he's probably player. not a great dude, and he's probably no longer going to lead men. But, man, he's brought in some players. That's pretty good when Maryland can compete with Texas two years in a row. But... Texas. I think we all thought Tom Herman was going to be unbelievable. I mean, Everybody he, thought he was going to be the answer. He was the guy that, I, for a while, I thought he was going to coach Texas and LSU. <laughs> there, were, there was so much yeah. about him. And it hasn't worked. And Charlie Strong didn't work. And then you go back and you're like, you know, Mac Brown he was actually pretty good. Like, like maybe they jumped the gun on Mac Brown. Then Tennessee here. How many coaches have they had since Phil Fulmer? And like, yeah. the, the inmates are running the asylum, and they didn't want Greg Shianu, who right. actually is a pretty good football coach. Right. Like, I, I know they didn't like his resume at Rutgers, but oh, by the way, Rutgers is an incredibly difficult job. And he took a team that had been winning like one zero in two games a year and made them like a a six seven eight win type team they didn't want him they hired Pruitt you know obviously one game you're not going to get right. judged on that but the Lane Kiffin experiment well, this world didn't work the Derek Dooley experiment yeah. didn't work uh, I quite honestly thought the last guy they had was going to work that was a debacle oh, Butch Jones yeah and, and maybe Phil Fulmer who won a national championship and and had that you know just horrible awful end of the tenure where he yeah. went what, what was it eight and four or, or seven and five like I mean I've seen this script go down before I'm not really a Syracuse football fan we know I went to Syracuse I'm not a cheerleader I'm not really into that but I was a big Paul Pascaloni guy right. and, and coach P won seven games a year 
six games a year, eight games a year, had Donovan McNabb went to the Orange Bowl, and Jake Krauthamel said, I'm not going to fire Coach P, and the president went over the top and said, then you need to retire. Athletic director retired. New athletic director came in. you got to fire this guy. Fires Coach P, and then it is just a heap of mediocrity, yeah. and that's at best right. since then. You have to understand who you are. At Alabama, Maybe going eight and four or nine and three is an unforgivable sin, and we can go in and pay Nick Saban however much money right. he wants, and, and we all know that Nick Saban is really, really good. But I don't know that if you're Tennessee or you're Texas, maybe you've overplayed your hand a little bit. I mean, Texas has every resource known to man, plus all of the in-state talent. Well, and they're always bringing in like top 10 recruiting classes. It, like, why is that? Why is that not maturing for Notre Dame, Tennessee, and Texas? Well, I, I think Tennessee just has no in-state talent. I think that's a much more difficult right. job than anybody gives it credit to. I think that's actually one of the worst jobs in the SEC. I mean, that they have some disadvantages particularly like their recruiting ground like are you going to go to florida and beat florida for right, players right. and everyone else recruiting in florida or are you going to go to texas and beat texas a&m and everyone looking for players there you go to georgia are you going to beat uga right. and then you got alabama kind of in among all those places i think that's a difficult job phil fulmer did a really good job they fired him then they realized they made a mistake after three other coaches they let him overrun the athletic department it, it, it's just it's a it's a dumpster fire it's it, it's atrocious but the same thing with texas the same thing with syracuse like if you've got a good coach or a pretty good coach, you really have to think about firing that guy and kind of rolling the dice and seeing what comes up next. I mean, it's Les Miles. No one mm. thinks Les Miles is the greatest coach of all time, but I don't know anyone objectively that thinks Ed Orgeron is a better coach <laughs> than Les Miles. No. And probably LSU is, if not at the end of this year, another year away from having to pay an enormous buyout yeah. to then hire somebody else. Like, some of the moves that are made are, are rather uh, short-sighted. Episode 33 of the Bearded Carcast. I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman alongside. You can get involved in the act at Bearded Carcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can email the show beardedcarcast at outlook.com. On to the actual playing of football at the professional level. Is there anything going into this year that you are particularly interested in? I think over the last several years, we've been interested in you know, the, the Brady suspension and right. the deflate gate and all that stuff. What is n not the anthem, not the new rules, not the collusion case, on the field, something you're interested in seeing this year? I want to see how many games or game the Cleveland Browns are going to win. I, I, I watched, I didn't catch all, um, all the episodes uh, of Hard Knocks. I saw most of them. Uh, so I've, I've, I've kind of, I'm intrigued by this team. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, um, I, I think was an interesting add on that team. And, of course, you put in uh, Barker Mayfield there. You know, what's that team going to look like? And to me, that's a compelling story because, I mean, they've just been so bad 
for so long. And, of course, last year they didn't even win a game. So, uh, I don't know. That's one storyline. The expectations for them are, like— Pretty low, though. I don't know. The over-under is, like, six wins. Baker Mayfield has never taken a snap in the NFL. And Tyrod Taylor is— you know, he's he's yeah. fine. He's kind of a placeholder. I understand that they have talent, but to go from one win to six or seven. That's a lot. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, lot. a lot. I think is, you know, every you know everybody comes up to me about this time of year, and uh, I have this one guy that I'm friends with, uh, Kirk Gregory, who uh, works on in sports media, and you know, he's he's a Bills fan, so he's, you know, just, just by saying Bills fan, you know he's anti-New England. And every year I get a text, an email, or a picture or something a newspaper article. This is the year Brady's going to go downhill. But I think at 41, the legitimate question is: this does he continue to? Is to, it possible this is the worst supporting cast he's wow. had? Now, granted, it was an exhibition game, but they played two weeks ago against the Carolina Panthers, and uh, 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 you know, if uh, I, Julian Edelman's out the first three yeah, weeks of the year, he, but he, but right. but he's coming back. The running backs are. Would it be fair to say? Uh, Wait and see, or nothing special. Yeah, well, or and and uh, and uh, Sony Michelle, the kid they drafted out of Georgia. I mean, he had uh, injury issues. In the now pre-season. it is possible that Sonny Michelle is really, really good, and they've kind of been just don't want to get any Absolutely. tape out of them, and, yeah, and they're right. just kind of yeah, biding I, their yeah, time. So, so maybe that that's something. Yeah. But I mean, they go into the year with Chris Hogan yeah. as the top receiver, right. other than Gronkowski. Right? How are the lines going to be? <sighs> Uh, if I were a New England Patriots fan, uh, I would be concerned. Yeah, I, I mean, but if not the Patriots, and they are the betting favorite, then who? Who are you high on this year? Well, I think another team you have to question only because it's it's a natural question going into the year after you win. But, you know, can the Eagles sustain what they did last year? Yeah, I, I think their week one matchup this Thursday, only a couple days away as we tape this on Tuesday, is just fascinating. Because Nick Foles, we're right back where we were yeah. last year with Nick Foles playing a home game. And I think I was pretty vocal that I didn't think Nick Foles could win yeah. the Super Bowl. The point spread, Philadelphia-Atlanta opened Philly 4, now down to 2 or 2.5. So the Eagles, the defending Super Bowl champions, playing at home, less than a field goal favored against an Atlanta team that I think you would have to say was a little bit disappointing last year. It seemed like the loss of Kyle Shanahan was significant. So I looked at this, and I was talking to a friend about it, and I'm like, geez, Atlanta getting points against Nick Foles, that's interesting. And then he goes, yeah, but haven't we gone through this script before? And I'm Mm. like, yeah, you know what? You look at that point spread, and you know the public, the majority of people are thinking, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Devontae Freeman, high-flying offense against Nick Foles. The fact that the spread is less than a field goal leads me to believe that the public is all over Atlanta, and the Sharps, the the professional bettors, are probably on Philadelphia. And I think Philadelphia is the side you want to be on. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, Dallas, to me, this is the year of the question mark. I mean, Dallas has questions. Well, the offensive line is scary because Zach Martin was banged yep. up in the preseason. They have a couple of guys out. But, boy, when Ezekiel Elliott was healthy last yeah. year, they sure ran the ball well. Um, yeah, who else? I mean, 
who jumps out for you? I'm really, really interested in Minnesota. Mm. I think that last year they had that kind of 50-50 crazy win over New Orleans in the playoffs. And then, you know, that, that was one of the biggest wins in the history of the franchise, that that buzzer beater, that Hail Mary to digs down the sideline to beat New Orleans on the last play of the game there. And then they just, they, they were so excited for that. They ran out of gas. They went to Philadelphia and just kind of got throttled in the championship game. But you look at what they've done since then, Dalvin Cook comes back. Mm -hmm. He's a terrific running back in the little bit we saw of him, a first-round pick. And they bring in Kirk Cousins. And I was anti-Case Keenum. I I didn't believe in him in the long term, even though he had a career year last year. Whereas Kirk Cousins is the first guy in the prime of his career to be a free agent, allowed to walk, and... I think he's pretty good. I mean, I think he's an absolute worst, an average quarterback, and probably a, you know, somewhere in that, you know, 6 to 12 category. So you're going to go from Case Keenum, who was maybe the 20th or 25th best quarterback in the NFL, to someone who's the 8th or 10th best quarterback. You bring back Dalvin Cook. I I think Minnesota is going to have a very, very good year. I I mean, what did they do last year to make you think that they're not going to have a good year this year? Yeah, no, I think they're they're one of those teams in the mix. I think people are excited to see what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do in San Francisco. I think that's interesting. I think in Carolina, I think offensive line is a concern, as as we mentioned earlier. I think secondary still uh, people might have some question marks on, but Cam Newton, a lot of weapons. The division goes through New Orleans, and that yes. doesn't mean that they're going to win the right. division. But, boy, that draft that they had two years ago and the results that they got last year, I mean, we've seen New Orleans at their peak. We've seen them kind of down in the dumps, but they've got young talent. The Teddy Bridgewater trade is, is fascinating because yeah. you talk about – Tom Brady at some point he's going to start going backwards and maybe we've seen that at times over the last few years a game here a game there well Drew Brees you have to believe the time is ticking on him too but Teddy Bridgewater perhaps is the bridge Teddy Bridgewater might be the Jimmy Garoppolo for for the Saints right and he's got the perfect name for it bridge yeah Bridgewater yeah all right, before we get out of here, I know we this is we, we, we teased this at the beginning, and for long-time listeners, uh, you know, not first time, long time, but, you know, for the long-time listeners of the podcast, we know Dave's uh, love of apples. So tell us about the Apple Festival this okay. weekend. Okay. Well, this is a big one, right? Let, let's back up. Okay, back Let, up. Let's back really up. back yeah. up. Probably seven, eight years ago, I went to the Apple Festival, Henderson, North Carolina, yeah. Hendersonville, North Carolina, Western North Carolina, for the first time. And I went with my wife. I think we were married at the time. And we bought, you know, maybe three or four dozen apples. And on the ride home, she goes, so what do you want me to do with all these apples? Do you want me to make (laughs) applesauce? Do you want me to to make uh, uh, apple cake or apple bread? And I said, what do you mean? I'm going to eat all the apples. She's like, you're going to eat three or four dozen apples. And I said, yeah, we might not have gotten enough. Right. So... Then, over the next couple of weeks, I, I ate all the apples. Yeah. So we went back the next year, and we got more apples. Apples stay good yeah. for quite a while, right. and particularly good if life. you now use the system that Nicole and I use, which means when you get them, yeah. 
you sort them all, you wash them, you determine which ones have dings and you need to eat those earlier so you're preserving some. You have to also know which ones were taken off the tree, harvested most recently, because those like the pink ladies, those bloom the latest, those last almost through the winter, really. So you kind of have to get a lot of information. Yeah. And then you have to kind of pick your favorites. So in recent years, we've been getting somewhere between 100, 200 apples. And they basically last me about 10 weeks, roughly, to eat all these apples. And while at the beginning of the Apple Festival years ago, we used to go to all the different orchards that are there. There are probably 8 or 10 or 12 of them. We've kind of found our favorite one. And the reason we found the favorite one, Creaseman Farms, is because... They're the only one that has the Swiss Gourmet apple, oh, the Swiss which Gourmet. is our favorite yeah. apple. So on the way— Now, up, does it have, like, caramel in between? Like, what, what makes it the Swiss Gourmet? It's just a name, okay. but it, it's a medium-sized apple. Yeah. It's crunchy, and it has just that perfect mixture of— of sweet and sour. Okay. It's it's delicious. Yeah. It's a delicious apple. It's really yeah. it, it's now re- you mean when you say deli- are you are you describing it as delicious or are you saying it's like a delicious no style? it's not it's not a delicious okay. style it's, okay. just, it's just it's delicious. very tasty okay. it's, yeah. it's a phenomenal experience yes yes so right one year well the name like Swiss gourmet it has to be yeah I think one year I think it was two or three years ago we went to the Apple Festival on Monday the festival is Friday Saturday Sunday Monday Labor Day weekend we went on Monday we go to get our Swiss gourmets and they only have about a dozen Whoa. left they're essentially sold out We're out yeah so this year we decided to make a trip out of it right. we had wanted to see the Chihuly exhibit at the Biltmore estate uh-huh. so we decided we would go to Biltmore on Sunday, yeah. see the Chihuly exhibit, stay in Asheville, have a great meal, enjoy yeah. our time there, and then go back to the Apple Festival on Monday. They have a parade at 2.30 on Monday. It's like the entire town. Yeah. It takes like an hour and a half. It's a great local kind of community thing. Anyway, we're driving up, and, and we had talked about this before, and I'm like, we better stop in Hendersonville on the way to Asheville because we don't want them to run out of the right, Swiss Gourmets. Right, right. So we go there. We only stop just to get the Swiss Gourmets. We get a bushel, which is a huge, big box. A bushel costs about $30. Yeah. You get about 90 apples. So it's a pretty good deal as opposed to buying six apples for five bucks or whatever it normally costs. So we get our bushel, put them in the car, bring them to the hotel in Asheville, make sure we've got them in a climate-controlled environment. And then we come back to the Apple Festival on Monday. So we get there on Monday. We get there pretty early. We go right to Creaseman Farms. We're going to get a second bushel, but this time it's going to be kind of a mix of all of the other apples that they have. And we're walking over and we're kind of looking at all of the apples and I noticed that they have the Gravenstein apple. Yeah. The Gravenstein apple is my favorite apple from my childhood. Yeah. It, it's a Northern California apple and it also is very, very sweet. Now the ones in Northern California are very small. Ah. These were a little bit larger and a little bit softer. So I started talking to the people at Creaseman Farms about their apples and the way they go about planting and the way they go about 
working their apples throughout the uh, winter and then into the spring and then when they pick them and harvesting and the whole nine yards. So we had like about a 40-minute conversation with yeah. Bobby Creaseman, who's the proprietor. Yeah. Now, the people working there are like his daughter, his wife, yeah. his son-in-law. Right. It's, it's a right. family operation. So at what point were you invited over for dinner? Yeah, well, I, I got his phone number. He put <laughs> he put, he put, put my name in his yeah. phone as Dave Gravenstein. <laughs> I just put him as Bobby Creaseman, and we, we got our second uh, our, our second bushel. So we ended up with 213 apples yeah. for this year's crop, and, and and they are delicious. And we got a large variety. Of course, Honeycrisp is kind of what yeah. the Apple Festival is known for. Right. But we got the Fujis and the Galas, the Macintoshes, and, and of course a very large amount yeah. of Swiss gourmets. And then yeah. so the a potpourri Gravenstein, of apples. a potpourri of apples. But here's what really oh, yeah. makes me happy. Oh Mike. wow! Because this so, is—I mean, you've, you've so, already built this up. Yeah. So so Bobby Creaseman asks me. He goes. Well, well, so I, I, I eat one before yeah, we pack them up. I, yeah. I, I eat an apple. Yeah. And you know I eat the entire you apple. Do. You do. The, the, yep, the, the whole thing. I eat the entire thing. And he goes, so what do you think? And I go, well, they are larger and a little bit softer than I'm used to from California, but, but very good. And he goes, yeah, you know, maybe we should have taken them off a couple weeks earlier, he goes, we only have about 10 Gravenstein yeah. trees. It's not an apple I'm overly uh, knowledgeable about. And then we started talking about it. And I was thinking, like, maybe I can be, like, a, a consultant. <laughs> we started talking about, like, next year. And yeah. he's like, you know, if you want to come out to the farm yeah. and look at them, maybe pick a couple and yeah. determine wh when the best oh, time is. Yeah. And, like, I might have an Apple consulting yes. gig I like it. going on here. It, it was it was pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a uh, future bearded car cast at Creaseman Farms. Well, maybe next year when we go to UNC Ashford, We'll stop yeah. at Creaseman Farms on they'll, the way. Uh, and they'll roll out the uh, red apple carpet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was, it was fun. It was a good time. And on Monday, they didn't have any Swiss gourmets. Oh left. wow, good thing you so went when it, you did. It, it, it's a very, very good thing. All right, it's well a that's very good thing. That's going to do it for us. Oh, before we go yeah, though, okay, yeah. I, now that it's football season, yeah. I want to give a pick or two since since yeah, gambling yeah, is legal. Yeah. A pick or two. A week, yeah, and, and the teams that I like best this week, uh, Mike. And some weeks we'll go into great detail, and some weeks we'll just throw them out. Yeah, but uh, I, I think Baltimore beats Buffalo, and I think they do so handily. Now the spread has reached a touchdown. If you can still get it at six and a half, I like that a lot better. Uh, I like Minnesota a little bit against San Francisco. I think the public is going to be on the 49ers, very excited about Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo and crew, but the spread has gone up. That indicates to me that the professional betters are on the Vikings, and you know I'm very high on yeah. the Vikings. A and one that I think maybe a little below the radar, I really like home dogs by and large. Mm -hmm. uh, Denver against Seattle at home, I think the average fan is going to say, oh man, Seattle laying less than a field goal on the road but that Denver defense is still decent they're going to have better quarterback play with Case Keenum this year than 
than they did last year. I think the rookie running back has a chance, and I think most people agree that Seattle is going to be down. So so may, maybe Denver uh, in a mild home upset. Yeah, very good. And, and I think we'll track the record. The only yes. the only game I want you to track this week is, though, I'll throw out a potpourri of them, yeah. but, but the only one I want you to track is that Baltimore one. Baltimore and and one. earlier in the week, it could have gotten it at six and a half. Right. But if it goes a field goal, I'll just, uh, it goes a touchdown, I'll just give myself a tie for it. So if it goes seven, we'll call it a push. Okay, that's 1-800-DAVE-FRIEDMAN for Dave's lock of the week. You just heard it here, folks. Baltimore at home laying a touchdown or laying, laying six and a half six against and that half. Baltimore. So you like the six against, and a half. Against Buffalo. Okay. I'm laying the points. You're laying the points. All right, well, we're going to lay out of here. Uh, I'm Mike Pacheco. He's Dave Freeman. This is the Bearded Carcast. Follow along at Bearded Carcast on Twitter and on Instagram. And you can email us, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Thanks for listening and have an apple today.